Hey guys, just want to let you guys know that uh, this episode was recorded on Wednesday night, right after the World Series. Uh, it, the recording's fine right up until about the 21-minute mark when we get into the World Series. That's when things kind of go awry. There's some snap, crackle, snap, crackle pops. Uh, I apologize for that. So if you want to hear the recording in its entirety perfectly, then you can stop it right there. But if you if you want to listen to it, I don't think it's unlistenable. If I didn't think, if I thought it was unlistenable, I would have completely just cut it out. But so here it is. Part one is all the Jimmy Garoppolo stuff and what we think and uh, about the Niners and what what we think this means for this season and next season. And then the last like ten to fifteen minutes is uh, all about the World Series. So if you're not big into baseball, then you can turn it off right there. I, I, I'll come in in the middle, and I'll let you guys know. I'll give you guys a heads up when we get to that spot. Anyways, here we go. Goldcast uh, intro starts right now. Thanks for listening. Today's episode of the Goldcast is sponsored by the death of the World Series for the Dodgers. Are you a Dodgers fan? Neither are we. So isn't it great? Isn't it great to be able to sit here and watch them lose in Game 7 at home against a team with an inferior bullpen gosh i love it so for those giants fans out here that are that watch the world series this one's for you raymond before we get started why don't you let them know where can they find us you can like us at facebook.com slash the goldcast you can also follow us on twitter.com at the Goldcast underscore, as well as Instagram at the Goldcast. You can also subscribe to us via iTunes, YouTube, and Stitcher, all under the same name of the Goldcast. Follow, subscribe, stay on the up and up. There it is. We've got a lot to get into after the intro. A a tough, tough two weeks for 49ers football, but then a ray of light coming off of the stunning trade of Jimmy Garoppolo from the New England Patriots over to the San Francisco 49ers. So much to talk about on the other side of the intro. Let's get busy. San Francisco, are you ready? This is the Gold Cast. Boom! Welcome to another edition of the Goldcast. We are the voice of the faithful. I'm your host, Rudy Salisa III, and with me is my brother, my co-host, Raymond Salisa First, baby. Boom! We've been gone for a couple weeks. My apologies. I was back and forth between San Francisco, Los Angeles. I was uh, high-flying, never-dying, straight-flying. I don't, I don't know what to rhyme with that. Anyways, I'm back. Ray, we're back. So two weeks ago, last last we saw previously on the Goldcast, when we were here, C.J. Beathard was our quarterback, and Brian Hoyer still was, is still is. That's true. Brian Hoyer was benched to be his backup. He's not. He's no longer a part of the San Francisco 49ers. And then we go through two rough ass games so rough but hold on let's but let's celebrate for one moment before we get into that because if you're listening to the gold cast right now you are part of the history of san francisco seven championship appearances in seven years five rings two dynasties the very first one the san francisco 49er dynasty 
from 81 to 95, five Super Bowl championships. Steve Young, Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, Ronnie Lott, Bill Walsh, George Seifert, just legends upon legends. Then in the early 2000s here, the Giants, they break a 50-year drought and win not one, not two, but three World Series rings on the backs of Timmy Lincecum, Matt Cain, Madison Bumgarner, turning in arguably the greatest postseason clutch pitcher role in history. And then now, now we're capping off with the Golden State Warriors who have gone from another team to gone from mediocrity, a team that start, ended a 40-year drought, has been to three straight championships, defeating LeBron James two out of three, and is now back and on the quest for a third ring for their dynasty. This is what you're a part of. This is San Francisco. Welcome to the Gold Cast. So, Ray, let's get into Jimmy Garoppolo, man. First of all, what are your thoughts? I kind of felt like the team was starting to not believe in themselves. I felt like the team was falling apart. We had some key injuries this year to the o, to this week to the O-line that really did us in. I thought we had a pretty strong start against Wentz. And then things start to fall apart. And then there's an announcement that Jimmy Garoppolo has been traded to the San Francisco 49ers. It's like bedlam. I mean, it was a crazy, a crazy NFL trade deadline in general, the craziest I've ever seen. But let's start with Jimmy G, Ray. How do you feel? What are your thoughts? You're the greatest fanalist in the game. Drop it to the Goldcast Nation. I thought it was a terrific move, considering that at the time that we made the pick, we had nine picks. We gave up one of our extra second rounders because we had two second rounders. So we gave up one. So we didn't lose anything. We break even. We get a quarterback who's been learning and basically maturing under you know, one of the best quarterbacks in the game right now in Tom Brady. And he's been doing it for three years. You know, quarterbacks that do this have done really, really well when they get the opportunity to start as long as you have working pieces around them to help support his progress and his success. You know, case in point, Steve Young sat under Joe Montana for a very long time. Aaron Rodgers sat under Brett Favre for several years. And now Jimmy G, although rather than taking over the inheriting the throne from Tom Brady, he actually gets traded to us just because it makes more logistical and financial sense. If you're coming from the Patriot side of things and from the Niner side of things, it makes great sense because now we get a much cheaper quarterback that allows us to manage our money better and meaning that we don't necessarily have to go for a Kirk Cousins in the offseason. We can actually draft a quarterback late in the later rounds too because we don't have to sit and put our first draft pick in a quarterback either. We can address some more pressing concerns like offensive line, linebacker, defensive back, areas that need need help. You know, We've already addressed the defensive line. We need that to kind of just grow and mature at this point. But linebacker is a glaring need now, especially the middle side of it. And Reuben Foster can't seem to stay healthy, and I'm not sure if that's going to be a continuing trend for him going forward. It, I, I'm optimistically skeptical, but I have a feeling he might fall into the same category as Eric Armstead, minus the lack of, of talent with Eric Armstead, who just can't seem to – every time he gets a, a minute amount of progress, he ends up you know, sidelining himself and derailing his entire uh, progress for that season. So I think he's on the chopping block. But anyways, getting back to Jimmy G, uh, I think this is a terrific pick. You know, for the not only for the reasons I just stated, but also because this is somebody who's probably going to 
take some time to absorb the playbook that Kyle Shanahan has. And I think that his play style, his ability to be mobile, his ability to stay in the pocket is very similar to CJ Beathard in terms of can remain calm in the pocket, is able to go through his progressions, is going to able to do that much better than CJ Beathard is right now because obviously he has three years of pro experience. He's, he's made 17 appearances, two starts, a car, you know, last year he's played two games while Tom Brady was suspended and he was virtually flawless in both those games before getting injured um, and then ha- having Brissett take over. So I think that his skill set fits Shanahan's system very well because he, A, goes through progressions, can read defenses, and also has a very, a very compact and very abrupt throwing motion so he can get rid of the ball fast and he has a compact motion a very the type of motion you want your quarterback to have very uh, kind of like uh, Dan Marino-esque Dan Marino had a very tight and quick release not it's obviously not at the speed or caliber of Dan Marino but that's who I thought of when I was looking at his throwing motion because it's tight and it's quick um, and the only guy to do that better probably better than anybody is Marino um, so it's a compliment. It's not a direct comparison, but that's what I see out of him. And so I'm excited. You know, I don't think he. I'm not sure he might get on the field in the latter half of this of this half of the season. But I don't think we're going to see him for another about two, three weeks, possibly even more, because we have a lot of we're hurt on the offensive line. So if we throw him in there, he's going to pretty much be in the same scenario that Hoyer and CJ were in. And even though he has more you know, more tutelage than CJ, you know, there's no telling what he'll do. Brian Hoyer has been in the league for nine years and couldn't do anything. You know, granted he lacks a lot less, he's a lot less talented than, you know, we've already seen Hoyer's upside, you know, which is, he has none. And so, you know, Jimmy G's, (laughs) Jimmy G's upside is, is through, you know, is through the roof potentially. So it's just a matter of whether, you know, you got to have the right pieces around him to make him work. And we that's one of the reasons why we're not going to see him anytime soon. So CJ is going to take a beating for the next few weeks before Jimmy G gets in there. But I liked it. I liked it all the way around. I was very caught off guard. I mean, what were your thoughts? My my brain exploded for everyone that follows us on social media saw my immediate posts, both on Twitter and Instagram. For the very first thing, it says, my brain is exploding. It was exploding. That was insane. I'm sitting with Louis B. We're in San Francisco. We're actually we're we're both in San Francisco. Louis B. and I are, and Louis B. catches it first. Louis B. is honest when he goes, "Oh my God, no way, bro, bro, have you looked on Bleacher Report?" I'm like, "No, no, no." He goes, "You're not gonna believe it. You are not gonna believe it." And I said, "What? What? What?" The 49ers traded for Jimmy Garoppolo, and I said, "What?" Are you fucking kidding me? And I grabbed my phone. I, I was like, if you're joking, I'm going to kill you. And I open it, and and there it was, right there on Bleacher Report. Bam, Jimmy Garoppolo traded to the San Francisco 49ers. I, my head exploded, super pumped. You know, and then reality started to set in. You know, the next couple days, I've, I've listened to a lot of interviews. I've read articles, and reality started to set in. This is a midseason trade for a quarterback coming into a Kyle Shanahan system that is one of the most complicated offensive systems in the league, arguably and widely considered to be some one of the best offensive systems in the league. He's never even seen it. Uh, he, Jimmy Garoppolo said himself, is going to be like learning a new language. It's not like he's going to just be able to get onto the field and start playing this week and just start chucking touchdowns for them. So that that's the reality. It's like It's like having a Christmas present that we can't open until probably around Christmas, <laughs> literally. 
and so it, it was exciting but then I then I had to get a little it was a bit sobering you know what I mean you have to kind of get somber about it you have to get a bit more sober about it and think about this you know think about this gold cast nation this guy's got to come in he has to come into our our town he has to learn our system is to figure it out, and most guys have a whole preseason, off-season workouts. He doesn't have any of that. He's not going to get onto the field immediately. And like you said, Ray, maybe the last couple games. Here's the flip side too, and this is going to sound really awful, and this is going to sound like like I don't give a shit about like C.J. Beathard, but I, I I do. But I'm saying the thing you don't want you don't want you don't want him going out there and then getting creamed because he's dealing with you know a third-string tackle. Or second string tackle, you know, offensive line that can't protect him. He is a he's a valuable commodity. He's already been injured once before, and so this is a guy that you want to take care of. Granted, it changes a lot. I think it shows a lot, a lot of fight in Shanahan and Lynch. Obviously, the Patriots had reached out to the 49ers. That's what I'm hearing is that the Patriots reached out to us, not vice versa. But they took advantage of the situation and they didn't even blink. And I really do think that Jimmy Garoppolo under this system is going to do well. And like you said, there's been a lot of proven success when a quarterback is able to sit behind another proven quarterback and learn the speed of the game. Now he's coming into our system. It's going to take some time. And I think that's probably the hardest part, Ray. I think the hardest part is he can't just jump onto the field. This isn't like basketball, you know, where he can just go out there. Or baseball, where he can literally the the next day put on that uniform and start throwing the ball. He has to learn a whole system. From what I hear, football's uh, football's pretty hard. That's the rumor. I heard the same thing too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you agree, that's the toughest part: the patience, just being patient. Yeah, I mean, and it it might seem, I mean, and like you said, if. If indeed the Patriots did reach out to the Niners, then, you know, you would think the reverse, like, oh, the Niners are kind of trying to be impatient. Well, I wouldn't say impatient, more like opportunistic um, is how I would word it, because, you know, this is a this is a situation where we kind of come out pretty big uh, with this move, you know, because we also gave up Richard Robinson within that same day who, you know, led the league in pass interferences, how many games did he lose or put the other team in, in terrific scoring position because of a pass interference call. You know, I understand the upside and the talent he potentially has, but this is something where, hey, we get rid of this guy who's a huge liability for the team right now and it's not giving us a chance to win. And he's too undisciplined and too raw to really perform at the level that we're asking him to perform. So we're going to give him an opportunity somewhere else. And in exchange, we're going to get another fifth-round draft pick. So we have two fifths now. Now we back up to nine picks, which means that we'll most likely when we have stacked picks like that, we're most likely going to use that to trade and move up. We could still do something with our first-round pick too. So don't forget about that because now that we do have a quarterback – that first round pick becomes very valuable in terms of how we position ourselves in that first round of the draft. We can trade, you know, trade up to get multiple picks for that first round pick because if we end up losing, you know, even more games and end up two and fourteen again or three and thirteen or four and twelve, we're gonna have a really high sought after pick and teams that need a quarterback, which we won't need at least for the next year, a year and a half, two years foreseeably then we can use that pick to trade up and get more draft picks, which is something I think the Niners are going to definitely do. You know, it's really interesting because Kyle Shanahan has had his eye on Garoppolo from the beginning. And when he was back with the Cleveland Browns, the two quarterbacks 
that he had told the Browns that he was most keen on were Jimmy Garoppolo and Derek Carr. Obviously, they didn't listen to either of them, and they got Johnny Manziel, which tells you a lot about about the Cleveland Browns. But so this is a guy he's had on he's had his eye on the whole time. I think going back to the first round draft pick because this you know the ripple effects of this one decision. Uh, could be just life-changing for this team. You know, there's so many different ways this could go. Do you think, so let's go, let's fast forward now. First of all, let's, let, me, let me ask you this quick question. How many games do you think we even win? Do we even get to four? That was my prediction was four. Yours, your most optimistic prediction prediction was between six and eight. Do we, am I even right? Do we even get to four? I'm not sure. Things Things got really... I mean, if we still had our starting roster, I would say yeah. But the problem is, we just lost our two. We lost our two best tackles in Trent Brown and Joe Staley. They're going to be gone for a couple weeks. Thankfully, we have the bye within this next stretch of three weeks, and that's going to give them time to to heal up, and which is great. So, in addition to that. Um, you know, that's the main reason why Jimmy's not going to be out there anytime soon is because we were so depleted in, we, you know, it's, and it's, every team goes through this. Um, you know, unfortunately the Niners, the last couple of years, especially this year, we've just been decimated by injuries. You know, we also gave up Navarro Bowman, which does hurt us a little bit in the middle, uh, against a run, even though he's clearly lost more than just a step and is not himself. Um, but well, hold on, Ray. Hold on. But let me clarify. I want to clarify you on that. Navarro Bowman asked to be released, and I think forty nine some forty nine er fans have kind of been bitching about that. Don't forget, we didn't just let him go of our own accord. We're like, we didn't just ship him out of town. He has to be released. He left us. We didn't leave him. I think there's. I think that's yeah. a big a big difference that should be always pointed out. And I think if I was Kyle Shanahan, I'd kind of be rethinking that because it's a business. I understand he's trying to be respectful to Navarro Bowman, you know, as all pro versus all pro. But at the same time, um, this is this is a business and you have to do what's best for the team. And letting him walk the way he did and not getting anything for it, I thought was maybe if, if we could give sort of some constructive criticism to John Lynch and maybe say, like, I don't agree with this move. That's probably the one thing he's done since he's been here that I didn't necessarily – didn't agree with entirely um everything else i thought he's every move he's made i i've liked you know even the small little moves but signing people you know to keep the competition fresh on the team and moving guys in and out of the roster week to week as you know guys succumb to injury and whatnot yes so so now let's talk about this so we let's say we lose two games we win two games we go two and 14 oh so brutal two and 14 just a thought of it like makes me makes my stomach drop we have a really high draft pick that's the question now right i I think i think no matter what you got to go you've probably got to go o-line on that first pick you have to go o-line and i would say if we get a quarterback it's in like the second or third round again like we did last year what would you say to that I think that's accurate. We're either going O-line or linebacker. That would be my guess because we need we not only need some mid, some help in the middle, but we also need an edge rusher. You know, some people are saying to go defensive line. No, we don't need a defensive lineman anymore. What we need is an edge edge rusher because I think 
Aaron Lynch is probably on his way out. I certainly wouldn't resign him. And you can't rely, you know, Elvis Dumerville is a third down, third and long, you know, pass rush situational guy now in his career. And so he's, you know, he's not an every down guy. We need an every down pass rusher. That's just the name of the game. So without that, um, we're going to have the same problems over and over and over again. So it's just, you know, it's kind of awkward the way things are set up right now, you know, because this, this is a, this is just like the situation that we've kind of put ourselves in, not just from bad draft choices and players just not working out that, that have players that, you know, have potential just haven't worked out, you know, Tank Herodine can't stay healthy, you know, came in with injuries. Uh, same with Aaron Lynch. He's injury riddled. Eric Armstead injury riddled. So we'll see how John Lynch's picks do. You know, Foster hasn't been very good this year. He's been in and out of injuries. It's very unfortunate. It's, it's he. I have a feeling he's going to end up being a very fragile player unless he proves me wrong. I sure as hell hope he does. You know, Frank Gore came out with two knee surgeries out of college and was a huge risk. And now the guy has, you know, he started, you know, literally, I don't know how many games straight he started. And now he's he's pretty much a shoo-in for the Hall of Fame, working his way up to top five all-time rushing. So you never know. It, those are the unicorn players. But we need so much right now, it's ridiculous. And I think it starts with offensive line for sure. I agree with you. And I think Josh Garnett is probably another one I would continue to keep on the chopping block. Every time he gets on the field, he has an injury that sets him back, even though he's a high-character person and he's got a good head on his shoulders and he was an excellent player in college. He's also been another one that just hasn't panned out. And that's just kind of the name of the draft. You know, you 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 roll the dice, you roll the dice, you roll the dice, and then so many guys, you know, how, look how many first-round draft picks or at least draft picks with good upside that we've selected that just haven't worked out. And we're just one team. You know, this happens to every team. It's very, very difficult. You know, the 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 percentage chance of these players reaching their full potential full potential on an NFL roster is so slim. So, you know, we have our Lynch and Shanahan have their work cut out for them, that's for sure. I still believe that that they're the most qualified duo to make it happen though. Would you agree with that? Yeah. All right, guys, here's where it gets a little funky. If you want to continue on, listen. If not, uh, we'll see you next week. This is the best This is the best qualified tandem since John Harbaugh, you know, was paired with Trent Baalke, yeah. which, Jimmy, seemed, which seemed like Jim it Harbaugh. was Jim Harbaugh, which seemed like it was, you know, going to work out at the time. Yep, so I agree. There's definitely we'll probably go O-line. I would imagine they would they would still draft the quarterback somewhere in the later rounds. Obviously, defense is a huge factor that needs that needs a lot of help. But like you said, we just need help all over the place, man. It's it's tough. It's slim pickings out there. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. Yeah, def- definitely. All right. Well, let's let's move on a little bit. I want to talk about a team that isn't in San Francisco. I want to talk a little bit about the death of the Los Angeles Dodgers this year. <laughs> oh, if you guys were watching the World Series, it was a great World Series. It was pretty insane. Uh, the, you know, they've, all year they've been talking about juice balls and just how how intense the, uh, how, how many home runs have been hitting and how batters have changed their swing and the fact that the Houston Astros kind of tanked their way to this championship. And, you know, where the Dodgers kind of, they, they, they money balled it, they kind of Yankee balled it for, for the, you know, to get to this point. 
and these two teams come to a head. Ray, how good did it feel to watch the Los Angeles Dodgers lose in Game 7? It's almost like watching a team I like win. That's how good it felt, you know. And uh, oh, it's just a great feeling, you know. If if there was something I could get out of baseball this year, that was probably the next best thing outside of the Giants winning winning the uh, the World Series. So this is it's it was awesome. Very happy for the Astros. You know, I've always actually liked the Astros. I liked them in the '90s when they had Jeff Bagwell. Uh, Craig Biggio and Lance Berkman, uh, known as the Killer Bees, they just never had the pitching, the pitching to really go along with with that great offense that they had. And in this case, they did. Um, even picking up Justin Verlander in August to help carry them in, who's all who's done, who's usually terrific in the first three rounds, but has never quite panned out in the World Series. And of course, he didn't this year again. Uh, I think he lost both his games. He certainly lost Game Six that forced this game seven. So no surprise out of Verlander just can't seem to get it done on the biggest stage. Well, you know, with Verlander, they did this both times they played him. They, they got him to the sixth inning and then they just wore him out. They just saw him enough times and they ate him alive in the sixth. And they did that both times. I think really though, what's interesting, it's interesting to watch those Los Angeles Dodgers, Roberts manage his bullpen and how differently he did it than Bochi. You know, Bochi, Bochi was fly by the seat of your pants, go with the hot hands, look at the matchups, batter by batter, pitcher by pitcher, and go with who you think can actually do it. And if someone is hot and they're going, you let them go to the end of the game. And he really didn't do that. Roberts, they, you know, they had they had their analytics. They really stuck to their game plans. They they went they they were very robotic in their in their pitching in their pitching picks. And I thought I thought that really was to their detriment. And I think I think it was really telling to see just the difference of have watched three years of Bochi just kind of masterfully uh, play the bullpen. And we, you know, I've said it a million times. I thought I thought Bochi was the number one reason we lost against Chicago. I think we win against Chicago in game four and we go back and forth to game five. I, I don't think Chicago gets out of there. I really don't. I, um, I thought it was his it was his uh, it, he was the reason we lost that game. And, and I think watching watching Roberts through the World Series this year, it really kind of reaffirmed again just how important managing your pitchers is and how you have to go with the hot hand you have to go with what's working you, you you know at times you have to abandon any game plan you had going in and go with what's happening right in front of you and using the matchups to your advantage he had the inferior bullpen but he was the superior manager and that made the difference well, he's going up another guy who who's just better at this. AJ Hinch is a former A. If you for those guys who know your baseball history, not only is he a former athletic from the team in the '90s, but he's also a catcher. And catchers make the best baseball managers. And as we see once again, he's won it all because A, he knows pitching and he knows matchups and he knows how to utilize those pitching matchups to work in his favor. Even when their starting pitcher goes out within the first few innings after he didn't give up any runs, but he did hit four batters in the process. And that was enough for A.J. Hinch to make the move to start dipping into his bullpen player, pitcher after pitcher after pitcher. Sometimes, I mean, he brought he brought in uh, uh, Liriano Liriano just to get one guy and then took him out. He kept doing these are very Bochy-esque moves. They're very uh, Scott. Uh, what's his name? The the Angels manager, also a catcher who won it all. These guys make moves like this all the time because some because it is these are those inc- these are they're incremental chess chess moves in order to get a guy. And you know Roberts was trying to make similar moves, but it just wasn't enough because the damage had already been done. Uh, you know all they needed was they didn't even have to score those three runs in the 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 second inning 
to put them up five to nothing. They could have they could have still won at two to one because the Dodgers couldn't get past one run. So I thought it was brilliant, brilliant play by AJ Hinch. Once again, another A, you know, comes to the rescue and comes out big, uh, giving the Astros their first ring. It was pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Pretty epic series. Uh, yes, and I agree. I think if you're a Giants fan, just to see the Dodgers up there. I, I did it. It felt like I was like it was like living vicariously through the Astros and just rooting the whole time for the Dodgers to lose. And I live in Los Angeles, and I will tell you guys, nothing will make you hate the Dodgers more than when you live in the city for the Dodgers. It is the worst. <laughs> it's the worst. God, I, I, I love living in L.A., but that's the worst part is just having to always deal with a bunch of Dodger crap in my face. So it was a really great win. Hats off to Houston. Hats off to the Astros. The city needed it, too. I think there's... I think that's like the other factor when your city's like ravaged by some type of hurricane or like devastating like natural event. I think it's like there's got to be like a betting that if you've got a good enough team, they might just rally and go all the way and deliver. I mean, they really pulled an 09 Saints here. Wouldn't you agree on that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it was it was nice to see them see them do that in that regard. Houston's been through a lot this year, but I don't necessarily think they need to win because of that. I think they just need to win the, because they need to beat you know, beat the team that's not better than that. Yeah, well, they they, they said they, they outmanaged them. They, they had the inferior bullpen, but a superior manager. And that is what made the difference. So congratulations to Houston. To the to all the Houston people who listen to the 40, the I was I say when we're in season, it's so hard for me not to say 49ers Goldcast, even though we're called the Goldcast. I just go right back into muscle memory mode. But uh, to the to the to the thousands of Houstoners that love to listen to the Goldcast and love to hear about San Francisco sports, San Francisco sports, we salute you. But Ray, I think that is about it. We'll uh, we'll have to see. Why don't we? We should get into a little bit of Warriors later. Uh, the real quick, real quick before we go, Cleveland Cavaliers. Oh man, what a hot mess that team is, huh? Well, and it's going to get worse for them just because they're they just signed, you know, two. You know, one's more serviceable. Uh, one is more serviceable than the other, but both of them are not going to last a season. And of course, I'm referring to. Dwayne Wade and to a greater degree uh, Derek Rose both these guys are not going to last and in fact they play the exact same position which means you're eventually going to fall that this this job is going to eventually fall back into the lap by default to J.R. Smith and by then they're not going to have the depth to really keep up they might even not make the playoffs but then again the only other team that I thought was going to give them a run for their money was the Celtics and without their star player that they just acquired. I'm not sure if they're going to be able to make a deep run into the playoffs themselves. We'll have to see. I don't know. But you they're know, playing some... well, though. But Boston's playing well. Boston's they're w- still really playing well great. They almost won, they almost won that game. Cause, and the, the X factor that they have there, even though they lost a big component to their team, is, of course, Brad Stevens. I think he's a terrific coach that puts a really good emphasis on defense. He's very balanced like Steve Kerr is. So I do expect them to get... I do expect them to make a run at the at the number one seed, number two seed, still despite uh, the loss. So, but and that's because of him. So, um, you know, not surprised that they're doing well so far. You know, we'll have to see if they can keep it up. And you know, but I think Cleveland can't will not be able to stay healthy to make a deep run this year. I would be very I I wouldn't be surprised if they made it again. But I really think that this is probably the most vulnerable team that LeBron has had in a long, long time since before the Miami Heat days. I feel like this is the worst team he's had in years. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. 
Yeah, I agree too. Well, so concludes another edition of the Goldcast. We are the Voice of the Faithful. I'm your host, Rudy Salisa III, and with me is our brother, my co-host. Raymond Salisa First Baby. Boom! We'll be back to our regular schedule. We usually record Sunday nights after the 49ers game and release Monday or Tuesday. We should be back to that normal schedule this week. Sorry about the slight delay and the miss from last week. But we're back. Jimmy Garoppolo pulled us out of the shadows. Here we go. Uh, Soon begins the Jimmy G era. Jimmy G! We'll see you next time. Same gold cast time. Same gold cast channel. This is, is the gold cast.